I hope she's there too. <laughs> In fact, I wish she was here. Hi, Val. Can everyone hear my squeaky voice okay? Pardon? I can hear you, but we can't see you just yet. The boys are working on it at the back. How are you? You doing okay? Yes, thanks for having me. Good. Raring to go? There yeah. you go. Oh, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. I'm standing with my back to you, but I think you can see my face, which is kind yes. of weird. Okay. So um, I don't want to waste any time because your story could fill about five evenings. Um, so um, just let's start at the very beginning, Laura, and tell us a little bit about the early years of your life. Okay. Um, well, my mum and dad broke up at a very young age. I think it was around four and quite a messy breakup. Um, my only real experience in a church setting when I was a wee bit older, I got thrown out for being... A, ba a bad wee rip so that was my only experience of church I have a really big family of uh, nine aunties and uncles and lots of cousins and nobody saved at all in the family so praise the Lord that that I'm now saved and through, through prayer and thanksgiving I'm praying that the Lord will save my family also Tell us a little bit about um, your childhood because I know that you spent most of your time living with your dad. Um, how did yeah. that impact on your life? Uh, well, my dad was a Buddhist, so he was. So uh, I recall a lot of times he would have brought me up into the attic and we would have sat in some sort of pose with our legs folded and chanted this Namiho Ringiko. To this day, I still don't know what it means, but I always remember closing my eyes and my dad would have been doing this, like humming, meditating, and always used to, Sit with one eye poked open, looking at him, laughing to myself because I just thought it was strange. He used to do all these weird facial expressions, but uh, it was very, very, very tough and challenging time for me as a as a child. I was, felt very isolated, and the breakup of my parents, I really struggled with. And also, my dad had a lot of adult uh, material in the house that wasn't, you know, that I witnessed at a young age, which was not. Good. you know the way I, I saw relationships from a young age it was very very uh, horrible but my dad also um, from a young age my dad uh, grew marijuana plants in our attic and he would have taught me how to cultivate them and uh, from I was about 10 years old I started smoking it and became very addicted to it from a young age and the psychology psychological effect that I'd had with me, I smoked it for many years. And what happened, Deepers, I was getting ready to go to tech one day, I was about 16, and we lived in a, a big quiet street. And I was just beautifying myself in my bedroom, or getting ready for tech. And in the quiet street, all I recall is uh, the Land Rovers coming up the street, and I just knew that was it. My dad had been busted, and there was a couple of Police Land Rovers pulled up and they brought us, my dad and I, into the living room and searched the kitchen. And one one of the ladies brought me up into the bathroom and strip searched me, and it was just horrific. And then my dad bl actually blamed me on it. So he, he moved to Thailand and I haven't seen him since. And then after that, 
uh, it threw me out of the house and I was living homeless for a while. And I stayed up at like a, a church alcove and I lived on uh, Fredo bars and meanies. Still enjoy Fredo bars to this day. So I even though it was absolutely sickened of them. But I just remember one night I was, I was lying, there was like a wee foresty bit beside the church alcove and I was lying uh, completely wasted on drinking uh, marijuana. And I was lying in the, the forest and I just completely passed out. And I remember it was early in the morning and when I was lying, I, I could feel like this like sort of twitching in my hair. And when I looked up, it was a wee robin that was in the tree and it was flying down and trying to pull bits of my hair out for its nest. You know, that's the how low it is. It is funny. <laughs> Looking back, it's funny. You know, how the Lord's transformed my life. It's just unbelievable. So it is. Absolutely. Well, I know that um, from just us sharing your story the other night that you got a job with Flybe and you pulled your life around from the point of view that you got accommodation and you got a job and that. But what sort of life were you living at that stage? Oh, it was terrible. My whole life just revolved around drink. So it did. I didn't realise the hold that actual alcohol has on you. Alcohol is one of the most addictive substances, just so slightly less than heroin. And I was seriously addicted to it and it just completely destroyed my life. I even managed to hold down a job is beyond me, but it was my whole life. I just, the, the Bible says that men live in the love, the darkness rather than the light. And that's, I just, I just couldn't get enough of my sin. So I couldn't, couldn't get enough of it. Well, I know that it was during this period of your life that you met a very handsome bouncer named Des. Yeah. And that event in a very strange way became the beginning of a turning yeah. point in your life. Yeah. Would you like to tell us a little bit about meeting Des and how that led to things changing for you? Yeah. Well, it was on a night out, one of my my regular night outs during the week, and I met him. He was a doorman at the time, and I met him, and we started dating. And Des used to talk to me about God, and he would have got really emotional and cried. And I thought, what God? There's a God. I know. Never once did anyone even talk to me about God. And I started questioning, is there a God? So, you know, there's a, a wee passage always sticks out in my mind that if you will search, if you search for me, oh, where is it? I wrote it down. You will seek me and find me when you when you search for me with all your heart. And that was the journey that I, I was on. I started seeking him and, and he was so faithful to me. And so tell and then, me. then what happened was, I'm oh, sorry, uh, I started questioning life. And so I wrote to the Gideon's Bible and I asked, you know, I'm st struggling here. I still love my party and I didn't want to give it up. And uh, the lady, Annabelle Hiles, I'd never forget her name, suggested that I go on an alpha course. And it just so happened I was off. I, I normally do a lot of shift work, but I happened to be off every Monday off it. And Des came with me. And it was the first night of the Alpha course when I learned about Jesus and I learned about his love for us. And coming home that night, I just cried, cried my eyes out. I just felt like I'd come home. And it, it was a, the, from that minute on, that was the real turning point in my life. But on the last, the last day of the Alpha, the last night of the Alpha course, um, 
what they did was they come round, come round um, dead and I, and they started going, you can speak, this is how you know now you're saved, because you can, you're, you should be able to speak in tongues, and there was ones all standing around us praying, and different people were doing all this chanting and praying, and Des and I were like, he was going, the, the pastor was going, just uh, practice it, and we were trying to just, you know, making all these noises, thinking it would just start flowing out, and we left, and we just felt so deflated, and you know, I realise now from good solid teaching how wrong that error was, you know, that what they taught us. But in God's mercy, the next morning when I woke up, the Lord had filled me with such joy and peace in my heart. That was just overwhelming. So it was, but to my shame, because I'd still been so used to the partying and the heavy drinking, I was filled with such joy. But what did I do? Rather than staying in the word of God, I went over a few hours later and got some alcohol thinking that would make my joy increase. And it was that the Lord has been so patient with me, been so gentle with me on this journey. Um, and so, you know, sometimes we hear that people who are living in real difficulty and challenging times, they become a Christian and immediately everything's fine and everything's good and everything's perfect. But I know from what we've shared that for you, that was not your experience, that there was this whole process that you needed to be walked through with the Lord um, in order to set you free from the various things that God had um, come to set you free from. Would you like to share a wee bit about your journey as a Christian from that point um, through to more recent times? Not long after getting saved, I felt like the Lord was really pressing on my heart to get married. I knew I had to get married and I knew I had to get baptized. I didn't even know what baptism meant, but I just knew. And we weren't members of the Crescent at this stage. We hadn't, we've been to a few different churches. And I I emailed the Crescent Church and the lovely Norman Nevin uh, invited us in and he sat down and the the. The love of God was just shining through that man's eyes. He's such a such a godly man and was such a great influence in Des and I's lives. And he just said, I'll never forget, he just said, hold on, we'll have a look. Yeah, we'll get you married in another three weeks. And Des and I were like, whoa. So all together, our marriage, um, we got married three weeks later. And then about three months after that, then I got baptised and Looking back, the Lord had blessed us, had blessed us with a wee boy. We we Ben was already in my womb when I got baptized, and that there's such a, a special wee thing. Children are a gift from the Lord, and they're a reward from Him, and it's just wonderful. But after, as soon as we got married, that's when the attack came really, really hard on our marriage, and Satan was ripping us to shreds. So he was, and it's been a long and difficult journey. Because Des and I were two very similar in nature, we were very prideful and very stubborn. And it's been very difficult as the Lord snipped the wee bits off us. And it's been a, a difficult journey, but with really good discipleship, the two of us are, are are really on track. So we are, we're just keeping our eyes on the Lord and uh, putting, loving the Lord with all our heart and our soul and loving each other. So, But it, it was very, very challenging. So it was um, the, the wee passage that I have for that. Um, 
because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character and hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Thank you for sharing so honestly, because I know at times in church we can all seem like we're all fine and once I'm saved, I'm fine. But all of us encounter struggles and challenges and um, difficulties and God is in the process of transforming us. None of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. We are being sanctified. And so maybe a wee bit more honesty would help us encourage each other. Um, so thank you, Laura, for being so open about that. Um, if we were to bring this up to today, um, what does it mean for you today to follow Jesus and to be a Christian? Uh, for me, no, I was once living in darkness and now I'm in the light. You know, I, can't, I can't actually physically comprehend the reality of what the Lord Jesus has saved me from. You know, the wrath, the judgment to come and the hell. To know that I am, I've been bought with the price, that my life is not longer mine. That, that to be obedient to, to the Lord up until the point of death and to really keep my eyes on him every day it's, it's surrendering myself to him taking him with my whole heart each day it's it's a challenge and a sacrificial having to do it but it's the, the best thing he just fills me with so much hope and joy and to not to not have the lord jesus in your life in this day and age of the world is so dark and it must be such a challenge for people and just I just love him so I'm just so grateful for what he's done in my life. You know, the the when I look back on how my life was to how it is now, you know, it's all because of him. He's done it all. So he has and all I've done is put my trust in him and he's completely transformed me. So he has he's surrounded me with so many godly men and women. You know, some of my best friends are, are we ninety year olds now, you know, who would have thought that? Just it's just amazing. How has that changed your passion as you look around you at the community you live in and the people that you meet every day? I just I continuously ask the Lord to, to help me to, to see these people through his eyes and the love that he has for them because I can't give what I don't have. If I'm not loving the Lord, I, I can't love others. But I just feel such compassion. You know, if I look at all the teenagers out, and, out where I live and it's just, it just breaks my heart. To be able, I'm able to go and and chat to them. I go out walking with my dog, and I'm able to go over to them and, you know, chat to them about the Lord and to share the gospel with them. And it's, it's just just great where I am that I'm able to go out and it's all on my doorstep. Well, there's quite a lot of young people in the church here. You probably can't see that and see why are here and have joined us, which is wonderful. Um, as you look back on your life. And you look back on the challenges of your life and the choices that you made and what your life is like now. Is there anything you would say to someone who's 14, 15, maybe looking out at how other people enjoy life and wanting to maybe have a go at that for themselves um, and feeling restricted even in church? Um, how would you speak to someone like that or what advice would you give them from your own experience? Um, well, I'd, I would ask them if they're born again, 
because the Bible says that you need to be born again to enter the king, king, kingdom of God, to enter the kingdom of heaven. And born again it just means to be born from above. So it asks them if they repented of their sin and put their trust in, in the gospel. If the gospel is this, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried according to the scriptures, and that God raised him from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. So I'd want to know if they're truly saved. And if they are truly saved, uh, the, the Satan is the, the prince of this world and he wants to attack your the minds of a believer to make them useless for the kingdom. So, you know, just like I was with the alcohol, alcohol is a toxin, it's got ethanol in it. And all it does is it's a carcinogenic. So if, you know, to go out and live that lifestyle, it's just false, there's nothing good about it. You know, it's just, uh, doesn't do you any good. So for me, it would, I would tell them, you know, this, this world is going to be gone in a flash. You no, know, our life, our lives are gone in a flash. And your, your sustenance and your joy comes from the Lord. And do not be deceived. Satan is around us. Uh, he's wanting to seek and devour us. And that lifestyle, the, the going out and the partying, you know, the, it's, uh, it's destructive. So while we're on this this earth, we'll have a job to do, and that's to make disciples, to go out and uh, preach the gospel, making disciples as we go. So, you know, try and get all your wee uh, rewards in heaven while you're here on earth, and just focus on serving the Lord and not our fleshly desires. That's what I would say. Keep yourself pure for your marriage. There's a lot there, and I'm sure there's a lot more that you could say, and I know that you could tell us so much more, but I just want to ask you one last question. Um, tonight we're looking at the word saved, and we talk about being saved. What does the word saved mean to you as you look at your life? What does that word um, mean for you? Um, that's, I can't even put it into words what it is you know you know I was I was in such darkness and to know that I have a relationship with my creator to know that I'm loved and I'm valued that that I'm you know where I'm going I, I can't even comprehend the what it's what it's going to be like you know what what awaits those that that love love the Lord. It's it's can't even put it into words. Well, just the most amazing amazing free gift. So it is. Absolutely, the verse that comes to my mind is she has been forgiven much, loves much. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. 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 Well, Laura, listen. Thank you so so much for sharing your story well some of your story with us and for challenging us i know that i feel challenged about how familiar we become with the message of the gospel and don't realize just what god has done in our lives um, and i just pray that god will continue to um, encourage you to keep you passionate and to give you um, a real ministry and reaching out to those around you and seeing many of them one for him. So thank you so much, Laura. God bless. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Laura.
thank you, Valerie. I just was wondering during that, was Valerie one of your 90-year-old friends? But I'm not sure <laughs> if she fits into that category. I'm, I'm assuming not. While, uh, what, what a trophy of grace um, Laura is. What a wonderful story. What a wonderful transformation. While Laura was telling us her story, I was thinking of the verse from Romans 5, and I'm going to read the three verses that follow where Laura quoted, because I had actually screenshotted them while she was talking before she mentioned them. Let me continue on in Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Sometimes people think they're too good. They don't need God. Sometimes people think they're too bad, too sinful, too far away from God and that God couldn't possibly love them. Very rarely will one die for a righteous person, though for a good person some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to clean up your act to get to God. God wants to save you right where you are. He wants to save you. He came to save sinners. He didn't come to save the righteous and those who think they're too good. I trust that we'll be blessed. You'll be blessed, sorry, by hearing Laura's amazing transformation, but it's glory to God and what He has done. Uh, what a wonderful God we have. We're going to sing again, and we're going to sing the wonderful words of, thank you for saving me. What can I say? You are my everything. I will sing your praise. You shed your blood for me. What can I say? You took my sin and shame, a sinner called by name. Great is the Lord. We're going to stand to sing masks on. Um, thank you for saving me.
take your seats. Thank you for singing again so well, and to the band. I'm now going to hand over to Glenn. Glenn's a good friend of uh, Crescent's for many years. Glenn's a, a member down at Scrabble. He's a, I don't really know Glenn, what are you? You're a young adult worker, a schools worker, and a, a, a football chaplain. You do lots of, very many hats, don't you? <laughs> um, Glenn, I want you to come and share with, with us now um, what it means to be saved. Tell us about the saviour of the world we've just been singing about. So Glenn, the next wee while, it's over to you. Thank you. Good, good evening. Really, really good to be with you. And uh, thanks for the invitation. I have never met Laura. I look forward to meeting her. She's class, isn't she? I mean, that was so good. I, I love this format of like an interview style thing. Val, you did a fantastic job because that's, that's not easy with that sort of format. It was great. But I just love that format because... I think you can argue with lots of stuff. So you can argue with people's theology and you can, if you choose, you can argue with what the Bible says or teaches. You can come to a church and you can argue. I don't think you can argue with personal testimony. Uh, well, you can. <laughs> but I don't think there's any greater uh, powerful message than someone's story of personal individual faith, what God has done. And that was brilliant. And I actually found myself quite emotional at parts of that because it's just the reality of God working in someone's life and that is very, very exciting. So that was great. Uh, in my personal reading recently, I've been reading the Nehemiah. So let me just read you, you don't need to turn to these, but let me just read you a couple of verses uh, that I was just really encouraged by and also challenged by. They're in Nehemiah uh, 9, uh, verse 5 uh, through to uh, verse 8. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all the starry hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of earth the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you. You made a covenant with him to give his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. I was just struck by a rebellious people, constantly rebelling against God, but a faithful, loving, tender, compassionate God. And the verses that really sort of impacted me, let me read these to you particularly highlighting the disobedience of people. You warned the people to return to your law, but they became arrogant, they disobeyed your commands, they sinned against your ordinances. For many years you were patient with them. By your spirit you admonished them through your prophets, but they paid no attention. And then listen to this, but in your great mercy you didn't put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. I think that's just beautiful. And I tend to use social media uh, in a well, hope anyway, in a positive sense, and don't get caught up in a lot of the nonsense and commenting about fluff and getting involved in arguments online because I think it's just a waste of time. But on the morning I read that, I just simply posted a couple of those verses and said, "Take time, read Nehemiah chapter nine; you'll be blessed." And then I got a phone call from a young guy in church who has no real background in Christianity, uh, hasn't grown up in church, family are not Christians. And he says, what do you mean by that, Glenn? What do you mean by you'll be blessed? And actually, I'm glad he asked the question because it caused me to sort of stop for a minute and think, well, what do I mean? And sometimes what we do is we use words, phrases, terminology 
because we're used to them, particularly if we're brought up in a church context, because they're familiar to us and we've used them a lot. And it's actually good to stop sometimes and think about the words that we use, the terminology that we use. That said, I have a concern that in our modern church culture, we have become so intent with being relevant that we shy away from particular words and from particular terminology. Now, don't get me wrong. I think we should take time and explain things and think about how we use words. But my concern is that sometimes we want to be relevant and old-fashioned words, for want of a better expression, we shy away from those. But lots of them are so rich in meaning. So Laura actually used one of them, born again. Sometimes in our modern Christendom, we, we say, well, I came to faith or I trusted Jesus or I became a Christian or whatever it may be. And that's okay. And again, it's good to sort of take a minute and to think about that and to explain it in a way that people can understand. But that is a very powerful expression, born again. And of course, Jesus used it when he met Nicodemus at night and said, unless a man is born again, he'll never see the kingdom of God. It's a very powerful, rich expression, this idea of being born again. And Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This idea of a new birth, it's a very, very powerful expression explaining something that happens in our lives. Which brings us to this word, which again for some people is an old-fashioned word, saved. And maybe in years gone by, people would use that, oh, I was saved at such and such an age. And maybe fast forward to 2000 and whatever, what is this, 2022? <laughs> and we use other words because we think, well, that's real. But hang on a minute, that's a great free, that's a great word. And actually, Laura has used it in a way that's very powerful and explained it in a way that's very powerful as well. And the final question that Valerie asked was, what does it mean for you today, for Laura today, to say that you're saved? And her response was great, wasn't it? She says it means I have a relationship with the living God, that I'm loved and valued. What a great thing, that it, it speaks of an amazing free gift it's about being in the light, reminding her what she's saved from, thinking about the price that was paid, everyday surrender and living for Jesus. And then asking the question, how can people who don't have a relationship with Jesus get through day to day? Because she wouldn't know what she would do. And I loved her passion. She said, I just love Jesus. <laughs> that's great, isn't it? So that's what it means for her. And I want to come back to that just towards the end. I'm sure some of you know what your name means. Some of us, we don't really think we're given the name, we don't really think about it, but some of you will know the meaning of your name because someone will have explained it to you. And it depends, of course, which internet search engine you use or what you click on as to whether or not it's completely accurate. But Valerie means strong and brave. There you are, there's maybe other meanings for it. Laura means victory. Gareth means gentle. I'm not going to go through everyone in the church, don't panic. <laughs> Worryingly, my wife, who is called Heidi, in one of the particular search engines you look at, Heidi means battle maiden. <laughs> Glenn means handsome one. 
Uh, hang on, that's a bit rude. That's a wee bit rude, I'll have to be honest with you. Laugh. <laughs> Glenn means handsome one, good at football, good at golf, most other sports, intelligent, wise, and very humble. Doesn't mean any of those things. Glenn means a valley. That's it. That's a, that shows the depth to me. Over the last month or so, I'm sure you've ho- heard many readings uh, in and around the Advent season, Christmas season. Matthew 1, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Luke chapter 2, I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. Today in the town of David, a Savior is born. He is Christ the Lord. Recently, or in December time, I taught lessons along with SU in some of the local primary schools. They were entitled The Amazing Journey to Bethlehem. And I was in the classroom, and I was just trying to let the children see the meaning behind the Christmas story. And one of the lessons focused on the name of Jesus. And we had four uh, wrapped boxes with different paper, and we'd bring the box and look inside and then explain to the children different aspects of the Christmas story. And there was one wrapped, and it was to try and relate the importance of the name that was given to Jesus. So this is what the wee script was for these primary school-aged children. The name Jesus has a very special meaning. And there's something in our box that'll tell us what his name meant. And there was a birth certificate in the box. And every one of us will have a birth certificate with our name on it. Jesus means Savior. And then we talked about the verse, uh, 1 John 4, verse 14. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The word Savior means saving someone from harm or danger. Perhaps we could think of it like a fireman who saves someone from a burning building or a lifeguard who saves a person from drowning. The Bible tells us that Jesus was more than that, though. He was sent by God to save the world, including you and me. Christians see Jesus as their Savior because they believe he was sent by God to save them from all of the bad things in the world. At the beginning of the Bible, it tells us that God made everything perfect. But the people that God made spoiled the world by choosing not to follow God's way and to live their own way. The Bible calls that sin. It made God really sad. And it meant that the friendship he had with his people was broken. The people continued to sin, and so God sent Jesus to take the blame for those sins. Christians believe that Jesus came to take the blame for their sins so that they can be friends with God again, just like God had wanted from the beginning. Now, I know that's simplistic, but I like that. Because if you know me, you will know that that's my default. <laughs> I can't get away from that. My, my, just a simplistic thinking. And maybe because I spend most of my time trying to engage, particularly with children. But you know what? I think sometimes we overcomplicate it. And at its essence, it, it is reasonably simplistic when we think about this idea of being saved and we think about this idea of savior. And maybe sometimes as adults, we complicate it. And we bring so much else into it. So when you think about being saved, you think about the one who does the saving. Jesus means savior. That's why he was given that name, rescuer, deliverer. And at its core, 
You can't separate being saved from the one who does the saving. You can't separate being saved from the Savior because it goes hand in hand. And being saved, as Laura has already expressed, means having a personal relationship. What a privilege, a personal relationship with the living God of heaven through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. That's what it means. Being saved is being delivered. And Laura said this as well, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. For here and now, as we live our lives or try to live our lives in order to follow Christ and for all eternity, and she made this reference as well for when he calls us home to be with him, from an empty, meaningless way of life to a life full of meaning and purpose, from a life that the world will paint a picture that is amazing and brilliant but leaves you feeling empty and cheated and broken, to a life with Christ that has richness of meaning and purpose, not free from difficulty and problem, but a life with God as our Father and Christ as our Savior and Lord. When Mary and Joseph presented Jesus at the temple when he was about a month old, Simeon, Simeon looked at him and said, my eyes have seen your salvation in a wee baby. And at Christmas time, sometimes we focus on him particularly people who don't know him. And then for the rest of the year, he's packed away with all the rest of the Christmas decorations and maybe next December, there's thought of him again. Simeon looked at this child and says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Jesus is the savior of the world. I am so glad and privileged that as a 10-year-old boy, I got saved <laughs> because my grandparents explained what it meant and God had been working in my life and I had the understanding to trust him and invite him into my life. And for Laura, it means reality, walking in the light, a relationship that she's valued and loved, an amazing free gift. That's the reality of being saved. And those of us who have been Christians for a long time, and I include myself in this, we do well to remember that. And to remember the huge cost, and never to forget that we're only saved and in relationship because of the grace of God, and we don't deserve it. And no matter how long you've been a Christian, don't forget that. The Savior came, hung on a cross, took your punishment, took your blame, so that you could be in relationship with God. Don't let it become so familiar that you forget the wonderful truth of that. I don't know how long Laura has been a Christian, but I hope she never loses that passion that she shared. You could see it bubbling out of her, couldn't you? That's what we should all be like when we're saved, when we're in a relationship. When I started first year in Regent House, someone gave me a wee badge, and some of you will remember these, a wee metal badge, and it had Jesus saves on it. And I put it on my lapel, because I became a Christian the year before that. And I had this mindset, I'm gonna go to school now, and I'm gonna take a stand, and I'm gonna be proud to let people know that I'm saved and I'm a Christian. So I had it on the lapel on my blazer, day one, Somebody made a derogatory comment, a joke about it. And I would love to be able to say to you, well, I, did, I brushed that off. I didn't let it worry me. And I kept it going the rest of the day. Do you know what I did? The machine, I took it off and I put it in my pocket because I was so embarrassed. Hard enough starting school <laughs> without all that sort of stuff coming as well. I, I took it off. I, I'm not sure that I ever put it back on again to my shame. We should be proud to say we're saved, irrespective of what this world says. 
And it will become increasingly more difficult to take a stand, I believe. We should be proud to say that we're saved, that we're children of God, that he has done a work of grace in our lives. And we should be proud to live it out with passion, with enthusiasm. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's simple. And if you don't know him, stop overcomplicating it. He loves you. He came for you. He died on the cross for you so that you could be in relationship with him. So see all the stuff that you're putting in the way and trying to forget about it. And simply come in faith and accept him as Savior and Lord. And then the hard bit comes. Live for him. As salt and light in a world that is flavorless and dark. And let the reality of your salvation shine out to people around you so that they too will see him and respond to him. Let me just pray and commit what Laura has said and these thoughts from me just to God. Father, we thank you that you wanted your son to be called Jesus, Savior, because of what his life would be and because of the purpose of his life, that he would hang on a cross, that he would die there, that he would be buried, but praise God that he would rise again and we can be saved. We can come into relationship with you through him. And we thank you for that wonderful truth. God, we pray for Laura and Des. Would you surround them with your, your grace, Lord? Would you help them to continue with that passion that they have for serving you? Use them mightily, we pray. And Father, help us never to become lazy or complacent in our faith. Help us to have that passion that enthusiasm, because this world is broken and lost, and my goodness, does it need saving. And God, you sent your Son, and I pray that we would shine and we would show the reality of Christ in our lives, in our daily lives where you have called us. For the glory of his name and the extension of your kingdom, we pray. Amen.